Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Training Data. That is Training Data, not Training Day, which was a movie featuring Denzel Washington and Ethan Hawke. Very good. It will be the first option you see. And when you search this in Apple Podcasts, we're the second option, but equally as good and entertaining. Uh, today, we have something that uh, I'm really excited about um, because it's a company that I have personally followed for a long time, and they've really grown um, over the years, and it's cool to have them in here today, talk about their platform, and more importantly, talk about uh, their view of where the geospatial market is going, and specifically, that is Cardo. And with us in the booth today, we have Javier De La Torre, the founder and chief strategy officer of Cardo, and Matt Forrest, the director of spatial data science at Cardo. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you, guys. Yeah, thanks for having us. And uh, not, to, not to be omitted, but we have Nick Weir, a training data veteran and a senior data scientist here at, at Cosmic Works. Nick, welcome back. Thanks, Ryan. All right, so today, you know, we're going to hit a couple topics, but we're going to hit one, I think the general theme is how are we making geospatial analytics more accessible uh, to a wide variety of users and business verticals? This is something that if you listen to this pod before, read our blog, or if you're familiar with Cardo's work, that is something that we've discussed a lot. Um, but in order to break down this topic, I think we're really going to address two, two different topics, which is one, what are the tools uh, necessary to empower end users, both those that are familiar with this type of work, as well, and perhaps more importantly, as well as those who are not familiar uh, perhaps or uh, with this area, or at least GIS trained professionals. And then the second is, you know, when we talk about analytics and all the uh, developments that are occurring in this domain, a lot of what powers that are data sets, accessibility for data scientists or researchers or product developers to have access to that information. A core part of that is making that data uh, available. So we're going to talk about different things we can do uh, to make that information more available uh, across the market. And so with that, you know, let's dive right in. You know, just as a quick heads up, guys, could you just give a brief background on Cardo? I mean, I know I'm so biased as, as someone who's <laughs> followed it. Uh, we were talking before. I remember making my first uh, chloropleth map and showing that off to people because I did it like in 30 minutes, and that was a record <laughs> uh, way back in like 14. So that's great. But just give us a little background about the company, how you got started, yeah. and just what your just what your general ethos has been. Sure. So, um, <clears throat> so Carto really started in 2012. Uh, a little bit of a background on it. Uh, I used to be a scientist working on biodiversity informatics. So that's about figuring out where species are, how they're going to get affected by climate change. And during that time, I had to do a lot of spatial analysis. And it was a lot of frustration, actually, the problem of working with very large data sets and, you know, how inaccessible was kind of like a spatial analytics that uh, kind of like ourselves into the mood of creating technology and eventually thought like hey this is really cool uh, analysis capabilities that you know geospatial and spatial analytics have to offer but it's very hard for people to use um, so we kind of like with that topic we kind of like got started on you know really how to create a product that will enable a larger audience to kind of like discover the power of this type of analytics so that's the kind of like the background of it we we saw an opportunity also at the time with cloud computing the rise of a lot of new data and definitely also like a lot of new users that were coming into this industry to really rethink how space so it's kind of like done, and and that was kind of like really the the beginning of of Carto. Since then, I mean, like we kind of like focus a lot on, on you know like on on the visualization part, but then you know like also towards you know how do you do analytics. So a lot of started with uh, where things happen, and now we're going more towards why they happen somewhere, right? So from descriptive analytics, no more towards you know predictive analytics. 
And so and we're going to obviously dive into this in, in more detail uh, for today. But, you know, just at a high level. So you, you mentioned, you know, starting on the visualization piece. You know, what have been some of the other key products you've added over time? So you mentioned the analytics part. Mm-hmm. Like, walk us through a little bit about what that looks like from a product perspective. What was the end user, what can the end user work with? Yeah, I think this is important. Even before starting to talk about the products, I think actually it's the users, right? Because if you think about, like, the spatial industry, there's many different type of users, and very often we tend to call like, put them together. So it's, I think, an anomaly of our industry in a way. So you have on one side what I would say, you know, it's kind of like the GIS professional. Right, someone that has been you know, traditionally trained on everything around spatial. Uh, it's kind of like a generalistic, full-stack type of you know, like persona, in a way. Then we have uh, what I call you know, like the geospatial developers, someone that is coming to build applications and so on. Then we have the business analysts, like you were talking about like how you made your first map with Carto. I think we've introduced a lot of uh, people you know, to, to, the, to the power of mapping in the first place and you know, getting reports, you know, seeing things were happening. And then the third user, where I would talk more of like the spatial data scientists, right? And each of these users, in a way, they require different type of platforms. So you can talk about like whether there's been the web GIS type of platform, you know, where there's been, you know, like the GIS, the old desktop GIS platform. And now, you know, like there's more of, you know, towards, you know, like what is the uh, what is the platform for a spatial data scientist, right? So um, so with that, we understand that, you know, all those users need to have an integrated Kali solution because the reality is that you have an analyst that needs to understand something. You have a data scientist that have to actually produce a model. And then you have a developer that needs to integrate all that into some workflow or a product, right? So we do have what we call Carto Engine is the set of APIs that allows for our developers to integrate a map or an analysis into an application. We have Carto Builder, which is the, the tool that you use for creating your maps that is a kind of interface for someone closer to a BI experience where someone kind of like makes its own maps. And then finally, we have Carto Frames, which is the kind of like the, uh, uh, the part you to lean towards you know, data scientists, right? which is a Python notebook type of you know, like experience. Then on top of that, horizontally, we have what we call Data Observatory which is this layer of information that we've prepared and you know normalized and you know aggregated and you know like already put in a in a simple way that you can use it with all these different products either for visualization for analysis etc but there's these three kind of like main users and for each of them we have some sort of like a specific product yeah and this is the the one advertisement I promise during today's episode but you can use you can get a free account for 14 days Am I correct? A yep. month? Yeah, yeah. And uh, we do have a special, I mean, we do have uh, discounts and offer free accounts for non-commercial and hopefully we have a grants program. Yep. Yeah. Highly recommend it as someone who, you put it nicely, uh, you put it very diplomatic, <laughs> diplomatically, Javier, as business analyst. I would say someone who is uh, overconfident in their skills to write semi-non-quality uh, code. Uh, that, that's, uh, maybe I'm a different category in of itself. Um but I think you touched on is you're describing all these different users or personas. You know, it, it still kind of su- it really blows me away, for uh, lack of better words, that there's not really a lot of products and services on the market today that can address all those different users. It, it still seems like a, a, a gap t- today. And I, I'm just curious, why do you guys think that is? Is it just because, you know, this is historically a, a very specialized skill set? And as a result, you have to continue to train those experts to use those tools. Mm-hmm. Is it just the lack of priority? Because honestly, you know, where, where Nick and I sit, uh, demand to use these types of tools or dis- display outputs from an analytic uh, output, this comes up every day in, in our conversation. Mm-hmm. So it seems like this is a gap that a lot of people be running into. But honestly, I think you guys are in a pretty unique spot. 
Yeah. Well, we, we certainly think so. I mean, like this industry is going through a massive revolution. Um, I mean, the first thing is like if you and, and Ecala probably is a revolution in the sense of like it's changing a lot of its audience. There's many more people now coming that needs, you know, this type of analytics. They need, you know, this type of information that the geospatial systems can bring. And, and that is kind of like stressing an industry that in a way. It's been an anomaly, like I said, like the GIS car, like expert, it's been almost like a full stack, you know, like, I mean, <laughs> you got like people who know how to do a spatial analysis, how to, you know, do GIS, but they also know how to do car, like configure web servers and, you know, like and pre create websites and so on. That's been kind of like an anomaly in, from my point of view. And, and kind of like the industry right now is breaking up in pieces and there's like entire gaps in, in there, right? So, for example, when it comes to visualization, the VI part, the business intelligence, really has democratized right now a lot of the map making. There's a lot of people who use Carto for visualizing data. There's way, way more now, you know, people using Tableau to make maps. That's the reality. There's actually most of the maps these days are made on BI platforms, not on GIS platforms, yeah. right? So um, so that's one part that is, you know, already been taken. Um, but now when you talk about, like, analysis, I mean, it's, it's kind of, like, ridiculous to think that, you know, like, only... On the other, like 50,000 GS experts around the world can perform a spatial analysis. That just doesn't really make sense. Uh, considering that, you know, the explosion of data analytics overall, spatial is just one more dimension in that sense, right? But the problem with geospatial is that it comes, you know, like it is still so complicated, you know, like to use, you know, like to, to make a map with a lot of data, then perform an analysis and then put it as part of your data flow to actually kind of integrate it with your product. All those things make it really, really hard, right? And that's why, you know, like at Carter, we have to think so holistically, you know, like around, you know, like how you start from getting data, you know, to the, to actually delivering value after the model and everything. So, um, so I don't know. I, mean, I, I just think, you know, like it's an interesting moment for this industry. And I think, you know, like we still have to discover how we serve these different communities. But an holistic car like point of view, you know, is going to call like deliver much better, better value. We, we believe that from the beginning. Matt, I don't yeah. know. I mean, when I think about geospatial, my background's in geography. When you, and we were talking a little bit about this before we got started, was if you have a degree in geography or GIS or GI sciences, you learn a GIS toolkit and then you go find a job with a GIS toolkit. And now you've seen these, you know, academic degrees sort of change where you have to learn how to build a JavaScript front end, how to do, you know, more data science models and, and all these different components. So if you think of the traditional GIS field, there's, you know, you're doing all the, the full workflow from everything, um, you know, from getting data out to integrating into another system. Now what we're seeing, and I think that's reflective in some of the people we'll see at the at our conference uh, coming up tomorrow, is that they're coming from so many different fields, from uh, you know marine biology, um, people in aerospace. You know, so many people are starting to work with geospatial data, but they don't have that traditional kind of uh, training in terms of understanding how to work with geospatial data. What are the complicated components of that? And I think what we've seen at Cardo is that we've we've seen that there's a very consistent sort of process that people go through it works um, you know pretty much every time with every project and if you start with let's say you're trying to predict your revenue for a store location you have 500 stores around the, the United States and I want to basically use you know the, the spatial attributes that happen around the store to sort of predict what my revenue is going to be well you first you need your data about your stores you need to get them in and you know geo-referenced and into a you know geospatial database then I want to enrich that with many different data points things like you know start with demographics what about the road traffic what about competitors that are nearby so all those components, I want to start to, you know, kind of understand about what's going on there. Then I run a spatial model to say, or, you know, something in either in a machine learning ecosystem or something like that to say, what is that revenue look like? And then I need to visualize it and get that data and those results back out. And I think when 
you were, we, we talk a lot about this is moving from where to why and trying to understand that question. You know, we can see where different stores have higher or lower revenues and we can look at demographics and put that on a map and make it look, you know, visually beautiful and, and you can sort of infer some things from that. But what we want to get to is the why behind that. What is actually driving the revenue at those store locations? And I think that's something we've really invested a lot of time on. So, and if I, and you know, just to complete, you know, something that came to my mind, I think like also it's important to understand that although we think holistically about like how to serve, you know, space for all these users and all these different stages, it, it's, I think it's we're in the moment where we call it realizing that, you know, we don't live in an island. And GIS for a long time has been living on its own. So very, very integrated systems. You had to be a GIS expert, use GIS tools. Everything was you know, like just our own things, right? And now with all these people coming to our industry, you know, like now they are kind of like, they come in with a lot of different kind of like tools and methods, you know, that they're using on their own. So we talk about like Python notebooks. When you talk about like developing um, websites, you talk about a, lot of, a ton of open source tools that are out there, right? And commercial tools too. So, um, so kind of like, you know, very big differences, I think, in like we have to think about like the whole process, but we have to also think about like what tools kind of like those users come in and how we integrate in those, right? With versus thinking about like how we provide this monolithic kind of like single kind of like platform that does everything. That's just not going to make it. And beyond just the tools like Python notebooks and that kind of thing, I mean, you, pre uh, Matt, presented an excellent framework for how someone with no background in this can come in and use the standardized pipeline to uh, get some informative analyses done. What about uh, data scientists coming from different domains who want to bring some new method? Maybe people who are exploring something like bringing computer vision to geospatial, as we often interact with at, uh, at Cosmic Works. How, uh, how have you seen that process go? What are the challenges with bringing new methods outside of your kind of standard uh, spatial analyses uh, into the process? I think a big component and something that when if you go through a geospatial education, um, even a ge you know geography education, you learn some fundamental things about how you know place and space interact. And when you sort of start at that place, I think you know we, we look at Tobler's first law of geography. You know, um, uh, everything is related, but closer things are more related than things that are farther away. And that that is you know it applies to so many different things. If you think about, I'm on a path on a mountain walking, you know, five feet ahead of me, I'm going to know what the elevation is. 50 feet ahead, it's going to be, you know, I'll probably guess, but I, I know. And if you move further and further away from that, you won't know what that is. So apply that, going back to the same kind of example, I want to predict revenue at my store. Well, the demographics near your location are going to be most relevant, but how does that decay as you move away from that? So understanding how spatial interacts and, and how different spatial features interact with each other is going to be really important. So traditionally what we've seen is, you know, they might just say, I want the population at a, at a block group, you know, um, a census block group, which is a standard, you know, unit in the U.S. There's different names for it in different places around the world. But um, let's just say I have, you know, my store and I get the, the population at that block group. Well, that may or may not tell you something. If the store is in a, you know, dense residential district, that might, you know, that might tell you something. It, there's a lot of people living there. Or there's, you know, mixed use or all these different components. But if you're looking at the population in an area where there's a mall, that's not going to tell you a lot of information. So you want to extrapolate that out, understand how the spatial data interacts, um, and how to use derivative data sets to infer that, things like human mobility. For people that have been in that block group, where do they live? And then what can I tell about those demographics? So there's so much data to open up that and understanding how those different spatial features you know, interact, understanding concepts like spatial legs, spatial autocorrelation are very, very important to kind of creating these models. I think that's a huge, huge thing you've seen. 
yeah and to, to your question also about like how do we bring you know like other experts from uh from other domains you know there yeah. i think you know like the last particular four years i think have been impressive right in terms of innovation coming from analytics from outside geo and now how we apply them to geo the perfect example is machine learning but you know i told you like vision i mean that that's kind of like fundamentally changed the way that we do from blank classification i mean you guys know more about this than me but um but you know like that, that's unlikely but <laughs> sure <laughs> Well, we can continue that. <laughs> so all I'm saying is that you know, like there's been an incredible amount of innovation going out, you know, and now that we can apply to geospatial, um, I think you know, like one of the, our responsibility around in the industry is to make you know, like the things that we know, you know, more accessible to to a lot of these newcomers. So a classical example of that, someone doing you know, like machine learning, um, you do. If you're going to do machine learning on geospatial data, first you start have to define you know what is going to be your geographic support. What is that? are you going to be using the grid? Are you going to use hexagons? What resolutions and so on? And and you see we see often and you know time after time you know like where newcomers come and you know they they don't even know that you know where you're working on a map projection and you know you're going to do a split on your data to do a training data set versus you know like the one that you're going to be using for modeling and so on. They might not know that there's a spatial correlation on the data, so they they don't know what a spatial split is. So in fact, actually, one of the things that we actually are doing a lot is you know it's like is applying a lot of this things that's coming from the outside and putting the spatial layer on top of it. This is the things that you have to know because the spatial is a special in a few things, right? Um, but yeah, but it's it's very is I think it's it's amazing because right now most of the innovation when it comes to analytics in geo are coming from the outside and we're just applying it over space, which I think is amazing in in that sense. Like we got so much to learn from what is going on outside, and there's so many open fields you know to apply on geospatial that it's I mean it blows my mind. And I'm curious, just a, an extension on all of this is. You know, we've been working in this domain for for years, and we still stumble across problems. Just, yeah. We were just talking recently about uh, a transform issue, and I thought, how in the heck have we not solved all these problems yet? <laughs> um, and yet they still come up. I, I would suspect that, especially for individuals or groups or organizations that are not familiar with this type of analyses, that a lot of your work goes into that upfront about helping them think through their data set is that also a consultative thing that you guys do where you're hands-on walking them through how this works? Because yeah. for us, um, in just in, in our pretty narrow focus, it's been a lot of sort of uh, painful learning as you go in, in some cases mm -hmm. about yeah. what actually works best for, in, in our case, machine learning. But there's a, this is extensible across non-machine learning projects as well. Yeah, big time. I think this is something that we, we talk a lot uh, about. So um, the... From my point of view, there's a very big shortage of what I call spatial data scientists, people that understand how to call like a space, how to do a spatial analytics. There's really, really big shortage of it. They said there's like a really big shortage on on data scientists, but there's a much bigger one when it comes to spatial. Um, in fact, actually, we're organizing this conference tomorrow here in New York to actually push what we say towards the spatial data science, getting more people into the domain, right? So, so, um, so that's that's a problem, and that's we we still call like. Get very impressed sometimes when we talk with some, with some very large organizations that you will expect that they have like a ton of expertise around the space. I mean, like we talk about logistics companies, you know, like people, companies who are managing a lot of infrastructure on the field. So, you know, like, well, there's going to be a lot of spatial analytics going on in this space. 
And then you find out that no, that's not the case. They have like very few people, you know, working on on the spatial. Um, so the one guy in a basement, he's <laughs> really good, produces yeah. great maps. Yeah, and and the guy thinks like this is the best thing, but he doesn't understand why everybody else, you know, like doesn't do not care about it, right? So, so it's like, I think that's one of a uh, one of the problems that we we have in the industry that there's like this very big uh, shortage. I think you know, like how do we uh, how we kind of like overcome that? It's going to have to be in parallel things. So on one thing, I mean, like we're working on the technology side to make it more accessible. Working on the educational side to get more data scientists interested in spatial data science, but then to your point, we're also going to have to overcome the limitations of organizations for consulting. And um, consulting is a very important part of you know like how we're going to expand this business. Cons uh, consulting has been um, you know, a big business on the geospatial on itself. And it's just going to grow a lot. It's have to go like you know adapt to you know like a new a new environment. But for example, in our case, we just uh, six months ago uh, bought one of our partners who is a consulting firm so that we could offer consulting services within Carto. And that's because we found that in a lot of organizations, they wanted to get the insights that we were to offer, but they didn't have any experts to do it on their own. So the idea of like we go and we sell you the software and you do it on your own, just will discard like 90% of the organizations that are out there. So very often we have to go and tell them like, like Matt was saying, like how we, are you looking at the site selection problem? Are you looking at logistic optimizations? Well, this is what the spatial analytics can actually provide in terms of, you know, like improvements. And this is how you're actually going to have to do it. And then in the best organizations, they say, okay, okay, can you help us on the first space? And then we want our data scientists or data analysts to learn the process so that they can do it on their own. But we're going to have to assist a lot of organizations as they adopt data science, spatial data science. What yeah. if you? Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh no, I mean, I, I think we see a lot. You know, if I if I think back to like the machine learning or data scientist kind of unicorn space where there's you know a, a Venn diagram of three different areas. There's you know the the person who has the statistical background, the person that has kind of the you know the engineering background, and someone who has the business domain knowledge. Like there's there's not we haven't seen a lot of organizations that have like a lot of those I guess people that fall into all three of those categories. There's some data scientists who find their way into spatial, and there's a lot of geospatial people that find their way into data science. And I think it's that that bridge that we're really trying to focus on and build to say how can we make more of those people that kind of fall in the you know in that middle ground to kind of fill that gap. So, and what have you found to be the most compelling way to kind of help pull people from a, a non-spatial data science uh, realm to see the value of applying spatial or getting into the spatial domain a little bit more? Well, I, I think you know, like uh, for anybody that has tried, I mean, it's it's very easy. I mean, this is a very very exciting industry, and the returns of investment on it are very very clear. So once people call, like, start understanding what is the power of doing a spatial model, you know, to predict their churn or predict, you know, like their, their I mean, like how to optimize their logistics, you know, like they very clearly, you know, like buy into it. It's not too it's not too hard. It's, it's not you know like something that they don't want to. It's just they don't know how to. So a lot of it is you know about you know how we provide. What I call a good learning curve. So the problem is like, you know, with geospatial in a way is that it's it's a very steep learning curve. So, you know, just to be able to call like do the most basics, you have to go through some extensive training, right? So the question is like how we can provide technology, training methods, consulting that will allow them to start like easily and then, you know, progress until they get to like very sophisticated levels of spatial data science, right? So um, so that's a mix of technology, marketing, you know, like how we provide services. It's a lot of, it's a lot of it. But, you know, like getting people hooked up into, into uh, um, spatial, no problem at all. People love it. Uh, who doesn't like maps? It's a very kind of like classical kind of like question you put in in there. So um, no, I, I think we just have to make ourselves more accessible as an industry. 
You know, and this is, this issue is only going to accelerate, right? Particularly yeah. just as more work is reaching sort of a maturation stage in the open source world as well as in the proprietary world. You know, how do you guys see your platform evolving as just more and more of these capabilities reach yeah. a stage where they're product ready or they're near product ready uh, for deployment at the enterprise level? Yeah. So, so. Going back to you know the issue that we were that I was describing, there's a very big shortage of spatial data scientists, we say, and and there's two ways that we're going to improve that. So one is getting more people, more spatial data scientists, and the other is we're going to have to make them more productive. So right now we're focusing on like making spatial data science more productive, and um, and when we look at you know wh where is the time spent by a spatial data scientist, you know, like working on a day by day, um, the reality is still very. <laughs> Is is still very ugly. We spend eighty percent of the time, you know, just kind of like finding data, yes. you know, like doing ETL, processing it. It's just a tremendous amount of time. Um, we just actually come up from uh, talking with one of our customers, and he's he was is an analyst working doing market analysis, classical kind of like t uh, typical user for our space. He was doing the market analysis around the expansion of solar panels in Portugal. Right, so classical there. So he came. Uh, so he came to us actually asking, like, "Hey, I've been for three weeks looking at where to find zip code data and demographics in Portugal." That's that's a. I think you know, like, that's a, a big drama. So if it's gonna take you three weeks to negotiate and find data so that you can start doing analysis, that's a huge problem. So there's a huge problem of data accessibility on our in our in our industry. Still, you know, like most people have to spend like weeks. You know, trying to find the right data sets, finding the right providers, and then negotiating with them. It almost feels like we're on the fax area, that you have to send a fax to get access to data. It's as ugly sometimes as this. Someone I, actually did mail us, like, flash drives of data sets. And so <laughs> when go. we got it, we are like, is this <laughs> a, the best solution? And then you think about it, and you're like, yeah, I guess in this context it still makes sense, which is which is pretty crazy. <laughs> it's a little bandwidth. <laughs> you send you, like, drives like this, right? But... Uh, yeah, so so that's a problem. So that's one of the things you know where we're starting to focus a lot. So we last week we actually uh, launched Data Observatory 2.0, and our goal with this is to reduce dramatically the amount of time that is taking on discovering and getting access to data. And that's only the first part, you know, just finding the right data sets. But then you know, how do you actually get it into your own geographic support? Like we're talking like grids. If you're gonna do any kind of like model, you're gonna have to go like find a common grid. Um, um, geographic support for your model. Um, and that's not very easy at all. I mean, people spend like a tremendous amounts of time. So so if you look at that, if we can, you know, like streamline, you know, all those really kind of like, you know, wouldn't, you know, like added value steps that are needed, you know, to get to spatial analytics, and we can reduce that a lot. I think we can increase the productivity of a spatial data scientist very significantly, two, three X, right? That's, I think, you know, like, it's the first step. I think, you know, like, if we go to attract more spatial data scientists, we cannot show them an industry that is so ugly to work with. You know, like, it's so be simple. So, and so I think, you know, that's where, in our case, we think there's a lot of, like, wins that we can do in there, just by simplifying that process. Well, especially with the data observatory piece, I think you're hitting on something which is just, it's weird to see this, but it's, we live in very uh, contrasting times, right? In mm -hmm. the one hand, uh, certainly through our efforts with Space Sentinel and a lot of others, there's more data out there than ever before mm -hmm. as it relates to spatial analytics. And yet, on the, on the other hand, there's really not that much that's available to really, that you could confidently build something off of and deploy uh, uh, to a customer. Yep. And so you're sitting there going, I know enough to do perhaps a cool prototype or applied research, 
I can't necessarily get you to the next mile, right? Because to get to that next mile, I now have to go back yeah. to the very problem that you're describing. And you know, and this is the, this is so dramatic, and it's, it's such a pity because, in a way, anybody that comes from geography, one of the most beautiful things about our industry is that you know it's this possibility to relate your data with a lot of other data, because you know we can use the spatial index where things happens. Everything is related to everything, so we can get all this data and merge it together with our data. And yet, we find so many companies who decide to only work with their data because going through the process of looking for external data to put, you know, to add value is just too complex for them. So they, they just give up. So, um, so it's it's a, it's a pity. <laughs> well, I'm curious as part of the Data Observatory 2.0 to help maybe remediate some of this. When commercial companies contribute, are they are, are they are this is this contribution making some of these data public, or is it maybe? Uh, standardizing how people uh, display their information or format their data. I'm, I'm just kind of curious. Yeah, organizations get involved. Uh, there's certainly a quantity issue. There's also just a formatting issue. Is it kind of addressing both, uh, or is, is one maybe more than others? Yeah. So, um, so it's actually that's a really great question um, because. Uh, in order to call a consider data observatory 2.0, we had to um, reconsider multiple things. So the first one was our relation with data providers. So there's multiple data providers, right? There's like public data providers, right? So like census, you know, like if you think about the American Community Survey here in the U.S. Um, so the the, bi the best that we can do with those data providers is make the data more uh, more accessible, you know, like just simpler to use within the tools that people are going to liberate them. So that's number one. So that's that's an easy one. And for example, in our case, that data we provide it for free. It's open data. It's uh, public data. It's just about, you know, like how, you know, we can make it easier to access it. And then you have like the commercial providers. So we got like partners like MasterCard. We got, you know, like telcos. We got like many sources of data that give us different kind of like indexes and information. So in those cases, I mean, like there is, you know, like the first of all, the issue about like how do we ensure that we get the data in an anonymized and aggregated way so privacy is not an issue. So that's actually a problem for them. Um, the other is, you know, it's like uh, how do we provide it in a in a subscription model that, you know, like it's it's a good, you know, like business model for the final user, but also for them. So we actually do get into a lot of, you know, like do the a lot of the business development to ensure that, you know, like we, we got those contracts with them so that then we can, you know, let our uh, our users kind of like get access to the data without the complication of, you know, like going and signing a contract with each of these providers, which it can be very, very, very hard. So in fact, actually, one of the things that you can do with Data Observatory is subscribe to data sets straight away from, Jupiter, uh, from Python notebooks. So um, and that even automatically kind of like fires you know all the contracting and everything and you got you know the data straight away to use it within the within your analysis which within is it's we call it instantaneous subscription it's similar to you know like Airbnb where you had you know this possibility of like renting a house that you had to wait to be accepted or you could just do it instant instant always wins right so um, so that's one of the things that we have to do with the providers um, the last thing you know to put in that so it's is the way that we deliver it is the business model behind it but also is the partners with and you know and the tooling that we how we provide it so the um um, next, actually, this week we're announcing a, a collaboration with uh, Google Cloud um, for enabling a lot of this geospatial public data in the BigQuery platform, which is what the technology that we use under the hood for a lot of this data observatory. And That's awesome! Congratulations. Thank yeah. you. No, we're, we're very excited. There's an enormous amount of 
users already on those cloud cloud like data warehouses if we make the data already prepared in the tools that they can use we can expand dramatically the usage of these data sets so we're very very excited about that so it's it's all about you know like put the data in the format and the user needs it you know like in the systems that they are already using it and within a business model that is you know like not doesn't take three weeks to get you know to get access to it and you have to send a fax so a lot of companies, even though, and you know better than we know, a lot of companies underutilize the spatial data that they may have access to. Uh, there's still this perception that uh, your proprietary data is part of your advantage within the market. So how do you uh, talk to, when you're talking to companies about providing their data through one of these subscription services, How uh, what's the argument you make for their value in doing that? Well, um, it's actually not too hard. I mean, like a lot of companies uh, have actually realized of the potential of finding, you know, like other, you know, like sources of revenue through data monetization. The reality is that most of those organizations already have to process the data for themselves. So that's something that they need to do no matter what, right? So, um, and then, you know, like if they want to be part, you know, like of, you know, like the data economy in a way, then it's kind of like much more natural. So it's not too hard to actually kind of like get them to convince to kind of like work into these ecosystems. The biggest questions always tends to be towards privacy. How can we ensure that we don't, you know, like uh, that we anonymize and that we, you know, aggregate the data right and so on, which we do at the at the at the edge. We never get, you know, like any any private data in that sense. Um, so so it's not too hard in that sense. And there's an incredible economy already of data providers on geospatial. I mean, there's been, you know, like 40 years of companies actually providing geospatial data. So um, so it's about, like, how to simplify this. And in a way, you know, like, it's about, like, for example, letting them trust to push the data to our platform so that then later we can offer it instantaneously to the, to the user, right? So those are the things, like, in full honest, I mean, like, they need to see revenue. They need to see that we can generate revenue, that we can generate new use cases, and they get excited, and then they see us as a good channel, and then we go on. So, um, so I think you know, like, it's not too much the problem of you know, like, uh, getting them to um, to get to place. It's just about how to do it right, and without spending you know, like three years for them to actually get stuff. Sure, of course. <laughs> and when you're getting data from so many different providers, with you know, open data as well as these commercial providers, you've got to be seeing all kinds of different formats, all kinds of different coordinate reference systems, everything you know under oh, the yeah. sun in this. What do you see the role of some of the growing um, spatial data standards like the Stack standard or OGC is playing in, uh, in kind of making data more accessible in the future? Well, big time. I think that's going to be very, very critical, right? So we've actually come up with uh, with our own kind of like data structure. We call it Carto Grid. It's our own way of organizing the information in data observatory so that we can merge multiple sources into common geographic structure so that then it's easier to consume and put them together, right? So that's that's one of the core uh, functions of data observatory, the capability of merging multiple data sets. Um, OGC is kind of like going the same way with grids. A lot of you know, like the statistics offices around many countries are also going into these grids. I think you know, like um, there is you know, like a clear demand for global data sets that are interconnectable, and you know, like that you can actually merge them and use them together. Uh, it's gonna be. I was last week actually in uh, Manchester with a in a conference from these uh, statistical offices around the world. It seems that to me that it's gonna be very hard for them to agree on a single grid system. So it almost feels like you know, like they were trying to agree on on a projection. You know, which is like, okay, <laughs> this is not going to happen. So we're gonna to have to live in a world where data can actually be reprojected in multiple formats and you know, and that opens a lot of like technical kind of like issues around how we do without you know losing you know like uh, 
like um, uh, the granularity or how we don't introduce errors and things like that. So, um, so I think you know, like the the everybody sees it's very clear how we get there. I think it's going to be the role of companies like ours who can innovate and showcase what is the value once you have it in there, and then the standards will play off. But I think you know, like uh, Europe has done a great job on unifying around certain call like uh, grid systems. Um, in uh, yeah, I mean, like it's now you know like covering, but you know, OGC is also doing a great work. We're going to see a lot of that coming on. Great, yeah, and I, uh, just to kind of close uh, close it out, you know, you guys have made a, uh, a couple of references to the conference. The timing of this pod is really good because it's a day before. Yeah. Um, so give us just a little bit of background about the spatial data conference. Um, it's growing every year. Uh, it's here in New York. Uh, uh, for those listening, this this occurred on October twenty sixth. We'll put a link back. Uh, to so you can check out all the speakers and all the information. But you know, as we talked about adding, bringing awareness, increasing visibility uh, to this issue, like hmm. what sort of growth have you seen? What of uh, participation uh, have you seen? And also, just what's sort of the motivation for more companies getting involved? Yeah. So, so the, uh, we, we're very very excited this year. We're going to be like uh, we're going to hit 600. Uh, data scientists coming to the conference, which I think is amazing. First year we got 90, then it was 150, and now we got like 600. I remember year one. <laughs> I remember it. <laughs> it was very yeah, I, yeah. It's it's amazing, and 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 actually we were doing the stats about you know what is the profile of people coming, and one of the things you know we found out is that there used to be around like um, around 30 percent of the attendees were uh, on the private sector, then another like 30 to 40 was on the public sector. And then another 30 was called like on the academics, nonprofit Kala world. So this year has changed dramatically, and now there's around 60 to 70% on the private sector. So to me, that's a huge indication of the interest on the private sector, you know, to utilize a spatial. Because before it was a lot, you know, you would hear it in, you know, like in cities, or in, I mean, in governments, or, you know, like on the academia, etc. So I think, you know, that that's that's one great thing. The other, the, the other big point about the Spatial Data Science Conference is that we're trying to bring the uh, open source world. So, for example, tomorrow one of the keynotes is from the author of Spatial R, right? So, uh, which is the most used library for doing uh, spatial analytics on, in R, right? So, um, by the way, I really appreciate that. Just yeah. keeping that R community going. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so uh, then we have also a ton in Python, but <laughs> but you know, like, but th that's the thing, you know, like how we bring you know, like those academics and you know, open source communities, merge them together with real use cases coming from the private sector, you know, the public sector also coming up. We got like projects, you know, like talking about like inequality in the United States, you know, to kind of, like efficient site selection by um, you know, like we work. You know, like, so it's very, very, very mixed type of uh, usage. 8th Street, um, uh, Uber talking about like, how they use 8th Street for common um, geographies, these hexagon systems. It's very, very mixed up topics, but the, the beauty of it really is that they all come together and serve how spatial analytics actually is useful on a, on a real basis. I think you know, like, those use cases are a gold for the uh, academics, but also for the open source kind of, like, projects. And like I, I think it's it's fantastic in there. So this year is in Colombia, uh, again 600 people. We're gonna be doing it every year, and uh, we got this year like I think it's six sponsors. So now we got like a lot of from the machine learning kind of world. We got like Salesforce. So you see, it's very different kind of like uh, different kind of like sponsors and companies that you are used to in a in a geospatial conference. And, and I and I, think that, I think that's awesome. One important question because it didn't happen the first one. Is there a shirt this year? I'm big into shirts. Anyone who's listening to this podcast knows I always ask <laughs> about it. If not, 
idea for future conferences. Uh, okay. <laughs> one other thing uh, that just it didn't really come up uh, too much, but I think it's it's worth really bringing up is I think you have a couple uh, really compelling things you've either released recently or coming up. You've already mentioned some. Yeah. I think one that would be worth just to touch on a little bit, just from your product development perspective, is just your integration with uh, Jupyter Notebook and the Python SDK. I think that's really cool. Um, I certainly watched the webinar series on it, and I think that's pretty unique. So love to hear just a little bit more about that or any other things you have coming down the line uh, within Carta that you think people should be uh, dialed into. Yeah, so Cardo Frames is the, uh, the product that you mentioned. So that brings anything that you're doing in Cardo into the context of a Jupyter Notebook. So where it really started was, can we read data from, from Cardo, which is a Postgres, PostGIS database, into a notebook as a data frame. And that's kind of where it started. And then we added maps. Can we actually visualize in the context of a notebook? And you know, there's, there's multiple libraries where you can do that. There's you know, Folium. There's different um, libraries that um, different companies have launched. But ultimately, what we found was that really people wanted to have more efficient ways to do some of the things that we we're talking about. So bringing data in, enriching it, creating analysis, all these different components. And that's really where we're focusing on in the future for Cardo Frames is to do a number of different you know, geospatial utilities, uh, data enrichment, um, data you know, augmentation, and then spatial modeling or spatial feature engineering on top of that. And I think that's what we talked about is that, that 80% of the work, the hardest part of the work is actually taking a lot of geospatial data and creating different features and, and enriching from that data. Um, uh, one, one common, I mean, if it, to, to put it in kind of a real context, if you look at, you know, there's a lot of machine learning projects around house price prediction, right? If you go on Google, you probably have multiple, multiple pages of that. Um, what I found with all of those is not a lot of them use geospatial data. And coming <laughs> from, like, my background is like, okay, when I first think about that, um, things like your school district or how close am I to a, you know, a major highway? Um, is there a grocery store nearby? What about the restaurant? So that's where my mind goes. A lot of people and working those projects go through, you know, the process of, you know, creating derivative features from the data I have in front of me, um, you know, doing all the, the, you know, train testing and splitting and then, uh, you know, creating your model to hyperparameter tuning, all the, the machine learning process. Where I go is first, how much data can I extract from what's happening in space and add that to the model to add context to it. And, and we actually did this with um, with house prices in L.A. And what we found is that things like the the median income of your neighbors, so your, your nearest neighbors, is actually more important than the number of bedrooms in your house. So there's this huge, you know, context around what's happening spatially. And, you know, you could think of the number of features you could create from that, from demographics to roads to, uh, you know, major, uh, you know, economic districts to, you know, uh, I, I don't know, just the city you fall within. So there's a, so much data there, public and private. What we want to do in our vision for Cardo Frames is to be the library that makes that. And, and I hear this constantly when I talk to people. Can we make that process thousands, you know, take it from thousands of lines of code down to a few? Yeah. And that's our goal. So. Yeah. I think you know, like to add to that. I mean, like another kind of like product that you you can see coming from us very soon that I'm very excited about is this integration that I was talking about with uh, with Google BigQuery. I think that's a very key, big changer. So the um, now like BigQuery represents well, it's one of the leaders kind of like uh, data warehouses on the cloud, right? That has this separation between storage and computing, right? That makes it really really effective from a cost perspective, but also from a scalability perspective to perform a spatial analysis. Um, so versus, you know, before where you had, you know, like teams to have to create, you know, like 
Hadoop clusters to go like do a lot of these things. Now it's all comes, you know, directly on SQL. And you know, how we are integrating that with Carto, that's super exciting to me. I mean we we're publishing tomorrow actually a blog post of one of one of those things, one of those integrations. But you're gonna see more and more of that. So I think you know like as we go more towards cloud and you know like going going to cloud there will be uh, more integration capabilities at the geospatial level that you know like are gonna make it you know like our work much more scalable and much more interesting so i'm very excited about that part too well it's it's awesome to see all the progress you've made excited to see uh, everything that's rolling out next and uh great luck at the the conference tomorrow and uh take care thank you very much thanks all right and uh special thanks to uh hangar studios here in new york uh for hosting us for today's podcast all right, good night. Space Club Rule 27. The bar is low. Really low. Thank you for listening to today's show. If you'd like to hear more episodes or be kept up to date when we release a new show, please make sure to subscribe to Training Data wherever you get your podcast. If you'd like to find out more information and links to the different sites and data sets and presentations and all the different content that we discussed today, you can find more at cosmicworks.org, that's cosmic with a Q, spacenet.ai, and our blog, the downlink, that's also with a Q on Medium. As you're seeing here, we like the letter Q. Music was provided by the DMV Zone, and for those of you not in the DMV, that is the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area by Redline Addiction. Uh, a big thank you to Kristen Zender and Carrie Sassine from Inkytel's Marketing Group. Also a shout out to Hardcast Media uh, for serving as our studio. Thanks for listening and take care.